0: Good morning, it's 8.30 on Tuesday, August 7th. I'm Desiree Frazier, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, will citizens of the capital city vote to approve a bond referendum for the Jackson Public School District? We'll hear from both sides.
1: At some point, someone did not do what they were supposed to do. But this cannot be about giving JPS money. This has to be about giving students a chance.
0: Then in StoryCorps, a conversation on women balancing work with motherhood. Plus, we'll learn how student debt is affecting Mississippi graduates. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Today, residents of the capital city will decide whether to approve a $65 million bond referendum for the school system. Several districts in Mississippi are struggling to meet state-mandated standards on achievement and facility needs. The state's second-largest school system, Jackson Public Schools, wants local voters to support the multi-million dollar loan that advocates say will provide funds to make repairs at aging school facilities. They hope the referendum will resolve infrastructure issues. Ed Sivak is the vice president of the Jackson Public School Board. He spoke during a Monday news conference in front of a vacant building at Bailey Middle School, which needs approximately $830,000 in repairs. He tells MPB's Ashley Norwood they should look forward to investing in Jackson youth.
2: If you spend time in our schools, what you see is that three out of four of our schools are over 40 years old. And those, the age of our buildings shows that there are challenges, whether it's in the restrooms or in our sporting facilities, whether it's in our lighting, uh, just basic infrastructure. This bond is about creating opportunities that inspire learning, that inspire our students and keep them in school ready to learn and succeed in the next century. Again, our students are resilient, and at the same time, we want to create spaces that they're proud of. We want to create spaces where parents feel good about sending their students, their children to school, Um, and that's what this bond is about, creating an opportunity for them to be excited, to be proud, and to be in an environment that facilitates their learning.
3: It seems like a lot of districts across the state are going through some of the same things. Can you kind of talk about how this could have a statewide impact?
2: We're excited about the opportunity to invest in our facilities. Uh, Students everywhere, regardless of what district they're in, Deserve to good to facilities that make them proud and inspire them to learn. This bond referendum is about that opportunity and we hope that it will be part of opportunities that extend the students statewide.
0: CVAC says the board is working with several partners to ensure accountability.
2: We are committed as a board to transparency. Um, We are proactively taking this issue on. We passed a resolution that would create a citizen oversight committee to track the construction and the expenditure of these bond funds in public meetings at regular intervals to make sure that we do what we say we're going to do. This is what we are committed to, and we have demonstrated that through board action. In addition to the numerous groups that uh, Dr. Harrison recognized for their unwavering commitment and time and volunteering, I also want to recognize RJPS, a coalition of nonprofit organizations that have devoted time and talent and just belief to this effort. Thank you all for your help and your belief, and we look forward to continuing to work beyond tomorrow. Thank you.
0: JBS School Board Vice President Ed Sivak. Joseph Giles is a student at Lanier High School in Jackson. He's making an appeal to voters in Jackson from a youth perspective.
1: Winston Churchill once said, we shape our buildings. Thereafter, they shape us. But for the past three years, education has been significantly underfunded, and our buildings are beginning to say some pretty terrible things about the way that our community has been shaped. See, JPS, we know these problems. We live these problems. And I am standing before you today as a student of JPS, telling you that it is rough on all fronts because our house is not in order and the kids are not all right. Because at some point we became complacent. At some point, someone did not do what they were supposed to do. But this cannot be about giving JPS money. This has to be about giving students a chance. If the students are to bear the full dilapidation of these facilities, of these environments, then why aren't we afforded your fullest consideration when you make your decision? Because in this way, our buildings truly do shape us. This is the first step in producing community-minded youth. Because afterwards must come full opportunities for civic engagement, involvement, and discussion. But showing we care starts at the schools. Because if children feel that they are not important enough to be considered, then that leads to a community that feels the same. Here we set the tone. Many things in life are complicated, like love, religion, politics, but this is not one of them. Because if you truly care about schools, if you truly care about students, then the answer is simple. You'll vote yes on August 7th.
0: Lanier student Joseph Giles. David Archie is a community activist in Jackson. He's against the referendum. He tells MPB's Ashley Norwood why he thinks other actions should take place first.
4: I am asking the citizens of Jackson to vote no, 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 no against this bond referendum for a couple of reasons. One is that I don't feel like enough of the money is going towards the educational aspects in terms of the classroom, in terms of um, teachers, in terms of mentors and and tutors that need to come in to help get the grades up. At the end of the day, this is all about Jackson being a failing school district. And I think those things that I just spoke of can help get grades up to par. And there's no mention in that uh, when it comes to this bond referendum. Regardless of whether or not they can use the money for that, but regardless of whether or not they can't use it for that, at the end of the day, if there's any money to be taken from the citizens of Jackson, it ought to be going towards uh, making sure that Jackson Public School is a passing district. And at this point, that's not the case.
3: So what about some people that say that giving money to the infrastructure will make uh, schools more pleasant or more appealing to attract teachers or that it may create a better environment for students to actually enhance their academics? What do you think about that?
4: I totally disagree with that. If that is the case, why haven't they already spent money on those issues? Uh, there's a lot of money, uh, a lot of um, companies out there that can donate uh, money to repair and to fix newer fields, which they're asking for money for. And I don't think just because you're an athlete and go out there and play football or run around the track of Newerfield that it's going to help you in the classroom. And I think um, to say that that's going to help a student get his or her grades up to par, that is just certainly untrue. That has nothing to do with grades. I um, mean, You can learn in a classroom, whether it's cold or hot. You can learn with fans in the classroom. And it doesn't necessarily have to be any paint on the walls. And so what they are talking about here is is doing things that maintenance should have done over the years. And the reason that it has gotten in the situation that it's in is because they have absolutely forgot about the maintenance, you know, the cutting of the grass. You know, they want to contract everything out to be done around most of the public school systems. And we just cannot afford to pay contractors the count of money that we're paying them and getting the lease of the work. Now, let me just say this. They come to uh, the citizens of Jackson thirty to forty-five days before an election and asking for a sixty-five million dollar credit card and asking for sixty-five million dollars to put in their hands so they can go around and do the things that they say that need to be done. Well, they have failed the students. They have failed the city of Jackson. They have put the city of Jackson in a failing school district. Now, all of those that are, was in charge and that are in charge today and that has been a part except the school board uh, perhaps need to be looked at in terms of how Jackson and Mississippi get in this way. Listen, we got schools that are out of control. We have schools that need mentors. We have schools that need real men on the inside of the school to help take the schools back and to help take control where the children can be in a learning environment. But there's no mention of that. There's no mention of getting the parents involved by having after-school mentor programs, after-school tutoring programs to help get the grades up. And there's no guarantee that if the city... And the citizens of Jackson put forth this $65 million that the state of Mississippi still could and would come back and take the school system. I want to see it in writing saying that if we give $65 million or $100 million to help rebuild these schools, put them in fairly good condition, that the state of Mississippi will not – come and try to take our $65 million, plus take the schools over. And so there's no guarantee of that.
3: So you think there's also a concern about the outcome, that the holding uh, those accountable for making sure that that money actually does make a difference?
4: Absolutely. You know, and since you mentioned that, if you take a look at what happened to the city of Jackson and, and its citizen money when it comes to the $90 million semen contract and the $90 million bond, when it comes to the 1% sale tax in order to fix the roads, we went to the poll and we voted for an increase uh, in order to get that done. And our roads and our streets are in just as worse shape they're in when we went to vote to get that money on the table. But the money is gone. The $90 million is gone, and the semen contract, and the semen and the water bills and the water meters are still in bad condition. we still having a problem. And so there's no faith and putting $65 million in the hands of those people that are running the Jackson Public Schools. There's no need for us to put good money on top of bad money.
3: Now, uh, so what's an alternative then? What do you think should happen to see um, the things that you hope for Jackson Public Schools?
4: That they need to take more time and make sure that the state of Mississippi brings something to the table. And so... The question ought to be asked before you take over a school district, why haven't you put money and more money into the district where it is needed? And we think that perhaps if the state is serious about getting the grades up in the Jackson Public School and the state is serious about the Jackson Public School district, why haven't they brought some money to the table to help fix the problem?
3: David Archie is a community activist in Jackson. Mr. Archie, we want to thank you so
0: much for taking some time to talk to us about this issue.
4: Thank you um, for having me, and I appreciate the conversation.
0: The referendum needs a 60% majority in order to pass. To see our team's updates throughout the day, follow MPB News on Twitter. Coming up after StoryCorps, we'll learn how student debt is affecting Mississippi graduates. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
4: Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education with 100% online master's or specialist degrees in fields like teaching, leadership, higher education, and more. More information at rebelteacher.com.
3: A lot of attention has been paid in recent years to the professional roles of women and the challenges they still face in the workplace. In today's StoryCorps Mississippi conversation, Anna Neal talks with her daughter, Jamie Masters, about what it was like for women working 40 or more years ago.
0: Most of your, your friends' moms were not like career women, right? Most of my
5: friends, when I was growing up, their mother just didn't work at all. But you have to remember, this is coming in after the Second World War, after the Philippines War, and the men were coming back into the country And the women that were working went into the homes and they stayed there. So I was part of that generation whose mothers didn't work. Daddy got up, went to work, and everybody came home at 5 o'clock. And everybody had a cocktail and then they had dinner and watched television and then everyone went to bed. And that was the American dream. And That's where that whole American mainstream is Was I was raised in. Having grown up in that, what was it?
0: like for you as a young adult trying to figure out sort of your place?
5: Well, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be I wanted to be an artist, and I knew I wanted to work in creative. My father, the first year when I was heading to college, he told me, he said, the reason you're going to college now is to go and find a husband. That's the only reason for a young woman like you to go to work. Of course, by the time I graduated, things had changed so dramatically in this country. He didn't feel that way anymore. But at the, that when as a freshman, he did. That was quite a big change in just four years. Well, you have to remember that whole time, the 60s and the 70s were times of major change. So we had major changes and we had women's rights come in. We had people like Gloria Steinem. We had some very, very, and especially as I got a little further in my career, by seven or eight years into my career, the women's movement had come along and things were dramatically starting to change. But when I first went into J. Walter Thompson, I was the only woman. Everybody else was either a production person or a copywriter and I was the only art, not an art director, but there were no women art directors at that time. And I mean, I was not unusual for something like the creative director just to walk over and just hand a cup of coffee to one of the women and say, give me coffee, get me this. And basically, this woman just would run back and forth, back and forth, doing whatever they wanted to say. At that time, everyone had a secretary. People didn't type their own letters. They handed it to a secretary who went off and typed it and then brought it back for approval. It was just a whole different time at that point in the game. And women had jobs, but they weren't jobs of influence.
0: So how hard was that when you started to try to have a family as a young adult? You were essentially trying to work and build a career, but you had young... Children. Well, it, you I have don't to, like, think. take off and they get sick. And how do you explain your ma- very male dominated people that you've got to take off because your kid is sick?
5: You know, I think that there's been a lot of improvements about it. And I think there's a lot of husbands that are true partners that are helping these days. But I still think it's not dramatically improved. I was fortunate that I had a husband who did help and was willing to say, okay, you go to work half a day, I'll go to work half a day when there was a sick child. But as far as the job market and as far as employers understanding or making extra time for families and understanding, I still, even today, have seen people with young children get a lot of pings on their performance because they had to take time off with a sick child or something like that. Luckily, by the time I was having children, I was working for an agency that was owned by a family. So that was a little bit more helpful because the family was involved. The family was all there. On the other hand, it also held me back because it was a family business. I was never going to become a major partner or CEO or or anything (laughs) like that in that business. So from that standpoint, it was very bad. But I will tell you. The biggest thing was the salary. It wasn't the amount of support you got because you had to take care of your kids or not. I remember when I went to work for RCA and I had gone through an agency and the agency had said, okay, we're going to start you at X amount of money. And they decided they were going to hire me. But the vice presidents were coming out and saying, ask her to if she'll go to work for less money. Offer her $3,000 less and see if she'll go to work for it. She's a woman. She'll go to work for it. We don't have to pay her as much. And I did. And I learned a lot there. But that was pretty prevalent. And I'm not so sure it's not still prevalent today. To
3: hear more of our conversations from the StoryCorps mobile tour, go to mpbonline.org. The StoryCorps mobile tour visited Mississippi through a partnership with the Mississippi Humanities Council, the MPB Foundation, and Mississippi Public Broadcasting.
0: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Mississippi has the sixth highest student loan debt in the nation. That's according to a newly released analysis by the consumer financial blog Hub. Analyst Jill Gonzalez says they looked at factors that include the average student loan debt and the amount owed among recent graduates ages 25 to 34. She tells us some grads are putting off their dreams to pay down that debt.
6: Mississippi has the sixth highest amount of student debt in the country. So obviously this is not a list where you want to be number one in terms of most student debt. And Mississippi ranks that way just because of the sheer student loan indebtedness, the number of students that graduate with loans, the amount of those loans, and not too much being done on the grant and student work opportunity side either.
0: Tell us, how was the study conducted?
6: So we looked at this two ways. In terms of student loan indebtedness, we simply looked at the average student debt within the state, the proportion of students with debt, student debt as a share of income after graduation, We also looked at the unemployed rate among recent graduates, so those aged 25 to 34, the availability of student jobs or paid internships while people are in school, and finally, grant growth.
0: When you looked at unemployment and and it being at record lows, what was the data that you singled out when looking at recent graduates to determine their debt or if it was significant?
6: We looked at the unemployment rates specifically among the population aged 25 to 34. So while nationally we're seeing an overall rate that is at a record low, it's not necessarily the same per state and especially not within that recent graduate population. So right now the unemployment rate in Mississippi among recent grads is around 7%. It's two points above the national average, so certainly a problem when recent graduates are looking for work, unable to repay their student loans and rack up that much more debt.
0: And how does that debt affect their ability to purchase in the future?
6: So when we're comparing this to other things, say being a homeowner, for instance, we see that where the student loan debt is higher, students or recent graduates are pushing back their time to be a homeowner much further in the future. Uh, oftentimes past the age of 34. And in Mississippi, that's certainly the case.
0: Is it the same as credit card or revolving debt?
6: So this is going to be a couple of different things. So one, student loan debt, safe for mortgages, make up the largest component of household debt for Americans in the country. And we're looking at around $1.5 trillion now compared to credit card debt, which stands at just a trillion dollars. And depending on when students or recent graduates start paying this off, it most certainly could be revolving debt, especially if we're seeing that student loan debt's 90 days or more delinquent or in default, as we have been seeing a higher amount this year, can certainly start to become revolving debt.
0: Has there been any research done on how the rate of tuition has increased and what it has done to the student's ability to afford an education?
6: That tuition is increasing, perhaps for the wrong reasons. Uh, it's increasing not necessarily to pay professors more, to get more professors on staff, but maybe to upgrade the gymnasium or to provide newer food options to students. You know, really making the actual campuses competitive in terms of getting people to go there but not necessarily ramping up in education, et cetera. So we're seeing that tuition is increasing, perhaps for the wrong reasons.
0: And what is the perspective that you are hearing from recent graduates as a result of this? How are they seeing their future?
6: We're not seeing that students or recent graduates are necessarily that much more excited upon graduation. A lot of these students graduating now grew up during the Great Recession. So they know that things can really change on a dime. They're not necessarily as trusting as financial institutions to begin with. So obviously when you're dealing with banks and you're dealing with these student loans, recent graduates you know, really are not too trusting that they're getting bang for their buck.
0: And any advice for uh, young people who are caught in this dilemma
6: I think what we see the most is students taking out these loans and not necessarily using them one hundred percent on their studies, on books, maybe splurging for nicer housing or new clothes or even putting car payments on these types of loans. While you're in school it may seem like it's the necessary thing for you to do, but you know, a few years later you have that much more debt that you need to pay off. So we always say, you know, try to think about this a few years down the road Is your housing going to have mattered that much more or your clothes? Because that could actually mean a few more years in debt.
0: So students need to, while they're in school, think about being as frugal as they can. Exactly. Now we're also hearing about students who are struggling to have food to eat while they're in school. So that is another issue that has come up
6: kind of around spending across the board, so whether you're taking out loans and having to use them for absolute necessities, that's one thing. But if you're kind of splurging because you, you just have this loan money available and buying things or upgrading to things that are not necessities, that's where the real difference can lie.
0: Hear this conversation again whenever you want by subscribing to our podcast. Just search for Mississippi Edition in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite podcasting app. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9, it's Money Talks at 10, it's In Legal Terms, and at 11, Southern Remedies Relatively Speaking. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs right here online at mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Media app. I'm Desiree Frazier. We'll see you tomorrow morning, same time, same place, at 830 for the next edition of Mississippi Edition. Have a great day.
4: Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education with 100% online master's or specialist degrees in fields like teaching, leadership, higher education, and more. More information at rebelteacher.com.